So that is a beautiful setup for what we're going to do this morning. Uh, our mission as a church is to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission, and we're in Luke chapter 4. If you have your Bible, that's where we're going to be, in the inaugural dress of Jesus, in which he um, first began his ministry out of Luke chapter 4. When I knew we were going to be in this text, I asked if Eric Swanson would help us teach this text. Eric and his wife Liz have been members at Calvary for over 40 years. He was a CU um, director of ministry for crew. He served on crew for 25 years. He's a great friend of our ministry for a lot of years. After resigning from crew, Eric has been really a global ambassador for helping churches and Christians mobilize and transform their communities spiritually and societally. And Eric is just one of these people um, who is bright, funny, energetic, and he draws people to himself, and he is really influencing the world globally. I've had the privilege of being with Eric around the world, and here in Colorado and in the United States, Eric is a graduate of Cal Berkeley and of um, Bakke Graduate School. He's the, a doctor of ministry. Dr. Eric Swanson, and uh, that's good. Tom. That's good enough. That's good. Yeah, okay. That's a, that's a. <laughs> More than that, he's my friend and pastor. Yeah. He's a pastor to me, and I, I love you. I appreciate that you're going to bring the word to us yeah. this morning. Let's say good morning. Great. Hey, super to be here. And out of everything at Calvary, I think I'm most appreciative for the friendship that Tom and I have shared for the time you've been here, about 25, 26, 27 years or so. But great to have you college students here. And for those of you that don't realize, uh, that the future, we can have everything going for us, but if we don't have anyone under 35, we're a dead church. And so every time that there's, there's younger people coming to our church, there's hope for the next generation. Just a little prelude. George, can't thank you enough. I, I almost feel like I, I just now need to sit down because you kind of preached the message that I gave. But I want you to start by just everyone standing up. Every, yeah, okay, thank, yeah, give George more time up here. Everyone stand up here. <clears throat> I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you a little a slide, and when you see what this is, don't say what it is, but if you see it, sit down. A couple people are faking it. <laughs> okay, so what is it, sitters? And those of you that are standing there are saying, what the... So here's, here's, I'll draw the outline of it. There's the ear, there's the face, there's the nose, there's the other nostril, there's the eye, there's the other eye, here's the other ear, there's the top of the head. Okay, now sit down. The reason I did that <coughs> is you can be looking at something and staring at it for a long time and really not see what's there. And other people see it instantly, and they're saying, well, just look, just look, and you just don't see it. And I hope that after we talk about this section in Luke 4 today, that you can never read that passage again without seeing what Jesus was saying. So I want to start off just by saying, um, when Jesus went to, the, uh, taking the passage, Luke 4 is loaded, but I selected these verses. Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogues with his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. So you guys can all picture that, can't you? And he looked for a specific passage, in it, and it said this. He said, 
The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve, and die, uh, uh, grieve in Zion. I want to just unpack that just a little bit because in this, in this, Jesus was talking about, um, first of all, whoops, this was Jesus' manifesto, I believe, to change the world. Because he said, after he finished, he said, today this, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and everyone just kind of marveled at him. And what he was saying was that, that part of his mission was proclamation. That there is no good news without a verbal message. And so he said, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The whole series is on the good news of Luke. To proclaim freedom for the captive. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But, as, uh, as they say on TV, but wait, there is more. And because the other part of that is this. He's also sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And release from darkness the prisoners. To comfort all who mourn. And provide for those who grieve in Zion. George, isn't this resonating with what you're doing? 100%. 100%. So the good deeds, so the proclamation is, is the good news. The demonstration is the good deeds. And so you look at that, so if he cares about the holistic well-being, and I'm talking about the holistic well-being of every person on the planet, that, that Jesus said that, he, that people might know that you love them, every person on the planet, as much as you love me. That's, that's the good news. Um, so he healed the sick, he caused the lame to walk, he caused the blind to see, he welcomed the stranger and outsider, he comforted the morning, he fed the hungry, he was continually moved by compassion to do something about the hurts of people and people on the margin. And in, 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 in a very big way, he just gets us. He gets us where we are and wants to take us to that next step. The, um, oh, my fingers are so fat, they just turn off these... Uh, the silence buttons. Oh my gosh, save me. <laughs> I need PowerPoint salvation right now. PowerPoint salvation, words and deeds. Let's see what we got here. Oh, that is now. Now, as I was looking through my blinds this morning. <coughs> I noticed it was still dark out, and darkness, <laughs> darkness covers the earth, as you know. That's why we have the candle service every, yay, okay, very good. Thanks, Heidi, for rescuing me. So, um, so it's even interesting, Jesus' ministry, and Peter had the, the opportunity to describe Jesus' ministry the first time in the book of Acts to the first group of Gentiles. He summed up all of Jesus' ministry just in a, in a very short paragraph, he said that you know the message God sent, telling the good news through Jesus Christ, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit with power, and how Jesus went about doing good because God was with him. And you see this wonderful balance of good news and good deeds. And it's not recorded that every time he did a good deed, he preached the good news, or every time he preached the good news, he did a good deed, but the, but the rhythm, the flow of his life was good news and good deeds. You see the, the same thing with the Apostle Paul in the next passage, Paul said he was eager to do two things. And you know the very word eager? You can't be eager about everything. You kind of have to limit your things what you're eager for. But he said, I'm eager to preach the gospel, and I'm eager to help the poor. 
And that was, that, that was his, the, the, rhythm, the rhythm of his life. Um, you know, the early church grew. And I'm not, I don't, I don't want to run out of time by reading these quotes. But it's basically the church historian Eusebius writing in the, in the early 300s. said it was by the kindness the, uh, that, that believers showed to their community that got the attention of their community. Um, it, to, to the point that, that by the time when, when, um, when Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, he didn't create something. He simply acknowledged something that existed. One out of, at least one out of every ten people have, have come to know Christ, basically by the, by the way that Christians treated them. I do like this quote by I, Albert Einstein because, see, good deeds really get people's attention. And Einstein, who was Jewish in his background, said, being a lover of free, uh, freedom, when the Nazi revolution came, I looked at the universities to defend it, knowing that they'd always boasted of their devotion to the cause of the truth. But no, the universities were immediately silenced. Then I looked at the great editors of the great newspapers whose flaming editorials in days gone by had proclaimed their love of freedom, but they, like the universities, were silenced in a few short weeks. Only the church, only the church, stood squarely across the path of Hitler's campaign for suppressing truth. I never had any special interest in the church before, but now I feel a great affection and admiration for it because the church alone has had the courage and persistence to stand for the intellectual and moral freedom. And I'm forced to confess that I, what I once despised, I now praise unreservedly. It's the actions that people do that get the attention, is God real? Is Jesus, is, can Jesus do anything practical in this world? A friend of mine, before she died, was Diana Garland. Diana headed up the School of Social Work at Baylor. And what her research showed, she's written a number of books on family ministry, but she said the number one sticky factor for a child to embrace the faith of their parents is drum roll plays, serving alongside their parents. More than Sunday school, more than reading Bible stories, is serving alongside your parents. And she said as they serve others, they, they grip a deeper, whoops, I should jump my, they get a deeper understanding of one another and of God. They find their faith more resilient and meaningful. Their children develop what we call a sticky faith that keeps them stuck to the church and to God when their contemporaries are abandoning God in droves. So you wonder why we have serve days together, opportunities, lambs, lunch, is to bring your kids because that's, if you want your kids to have the faith that you have, it's not just going to be trying to do up, be another consumer. They've got to become a contributor. The, um, when you think of even what, what, why my fingers, I need, I need my fingers to go on a diet or something. But uh, when you took up millennials' priorities, millennials a little older than, than the Gen Z's, but when Pew did a research, what's most important in their lives, being a good parent was number one, having a successful marriage number two, helping others in need was the third thing. Other research shows that when young people are looking for a church, if you're not engaged in the needs and dreams of the community, it, the church is irrelevant. They have zero interest in attending a church that is not serving their community. And so we have, um, when, and one, one of the things I want to say though is that good deeds by themselves aren't good news. In fact, oftentimes when people see the good deeds without the good news, they get a little confused. Remember, I was working with one church, and they were doing a roadside cleanup, and their neighbors came by and thought they were doing community service for drunk driving, you know. <laughs> uh, same thing in the Bible, uh, in the book of Acts, the, when the Holy Spirit descends on people and begins speaking language they never do. The outsiders look at it and said, we don't know what's going on, but I think these people are drunk. So Peter's first words are corrective. Right? I mean, they see the birth of the church right there, and they come to the absolute wrong conclusion. So he said, these men aren't drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. Not quite happy hour. But, um, but 
but this was spoken to Prophet Joel. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Prophet Joel, and, and he preached the gospel, 3,000 people get saved. The next day, Peter and John are going to the temple, and they meet that guy. Silver or gold have I none, but what I do have, I give to you. And the people, people gather around him like they have these superpowers, so Peter's first words are corrective. Why do you look at us if we have these, straight, these superpowers? And he turns the conversation to Christ, 2,000 people get saved. Later on, the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas, they heal a guy with a hand. They actually call, this must be Zeus, and that must be Hermes. The gods have become like men, they're walking among us. Let's go get some bulls and sacrifice. And they had to turn the conversation to Christ for people to get saved. Does that make sense? So again, sometimes you know, the, uh, so, uh, um, yeah, I won't even give the fake quote, but, uh, but hearing, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word Christ. So it's kind of like which, which wing of the airport, uh, of an airplane is most important, you know, the good news, the good deeds of the airport, of the, of the airplane. The, um, the uh, and obviously we, we need both because it's the deeds that verify the words. When Jesus, John the Baptist's disciple said, are you the one we're looking for or should we wait for somebody else? What did he say? He said, go report what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the poor have the good, good news preached to them. The, the, it's the words that, that clarify the meaning of the deeds, but it's also the deeds that verify the meaning of the words. See how they go together? And, and you can't have one without the other. The, um, when you look at, um, so wherever the gospel has taken its firmest roots, it has always come from a holistic view of the gospel. Right, George? Is that what you're saying? And it was actually the, 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 the needs that all of a sudden the church shows up. To see this, that church emptied of every seat and just put down with beds for 3,000 refugees, that's what gets people's attention. So when George comes in, then he says, let me tell you what's happening here. If people understand the love of Christ, what do they want to do? They want to enter into a relationship with that loving God, right? So, so you look at a couple other things, um, just a couple examples here. Um, this is from Rodney Stark, but he said in the first 300 years uh, of Christianity, there were two big plagues. They were killing 5,000 people a, 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 a day in Rome. Uh, about a third to two-thirds of the population would die. But Christians would, instead of running away from the city, they hunkered down and took care of those people. And saying just by giving them food and water would reduce the mortality rate by two-thirds. And so when these people that had fled the, the city and came back and found their loved ones alive would also become Christians, they also became Christians. And so you have, uh, this, and so he, Stark says the, the gospel grew 40% per decade for the first 300 years. The, um, you, look at, you look at Wesley, Wesley is so understated in the history of the, uh, history of the world and history of faith. Um, history, he was a simple man. He was an unbelievable preacher, but he was a simple man. So when he read that Jesus went about healing, teaching, and preaching, you know what he did? He planted churches, he started schools, and he founded hospitals. So over 100 universities in the U.S. that are Methodist. When I tried to look at how many, how many Methodist hospitals there were, you can't even find that. It just shows all the Methodist hospitals around Boulder, around Denver, you know, and I'd say there's hundreds of them. So, so Wesley had a very holistic, holistic view of the gospel. You look at even somebody like um, uh, when, when Calvin, uh, you, I was kind of thinking kind of a hard-dosed guy, but when 60,000 refugees came into his city, you know, it was food, it was clothing, it was job training, it was, it was housing, all that kind of stuff. And I dare to say, even 
with, with Calvary, with its, with its 100 and how many years now, Tom? 131 years of existence, for about 110 of those years, we had a single campus. And all of you that have been around for a while know of the, all the stuff that the church has been partnering in the community with, and I think that makes people think this place is alive. If there's a church in town, I don't go to church, but if I do to go to church, this is the kind of church I want to be a part of because it's, it's thinking holistically about the views of people. And, um, and by the way, in 2004, uh, some of you remember those days, but uh, we actually got this little church got the Governor's Colorado Award for the Volunteer Organization of the Year for the good we've done in the community. And so, amen, that's right. So, so I think that's why people say when they're looking for a church, they just don't, they're not, they don't want a mini seminary. They're not looking for just a worship center. But they want to, they're looking for a place where they can actually influence the world. I want to continue in this passage. That was the passage that's recorded in Luke, but there's a little, script, there's a little phrase called a remez. And a remez is a hint. In other words, I, don't, I think Luke, when he was writing the passage, knew the passage was so familiar to his audience, he didn't take the time to write out all of Isaiah 60, 61. But what he did, he gave those first few verses, just like if I said, hey, let's sing the birthday song. Let me teach you how it goes. Happy birthday. And you, you know, we got it. That's enough. We, 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 we know the rest. And so um, there's more to this story because, because then he goes on to say, um, to bestow on them a crown of beauty. George, this is what you talk about. Instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. In other words, when Christ comes into our lives, everything changes. Change life. Any man is in Christ, a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, new things have come. And, and it's, it's kind of a, an instead of life. We, we create, when you come to Christ, you create an alternative future that you never had before. And so you have, um, or the, then it says, and they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of splendor. Who are these oaks of righteousness? Who are these people that are now displaying actually the glory of God? It's those people who were, you know, full of ashes. Those people that were mourning. Those people that had a spirit of despair. So I want to say to you this morning, no matter what condition you find yourself in, it's a temporary snapshot. And if you let Jesus do his work in your life, the whole trajectory of your future changes. And you can be one that, that actually is involved in changing the world. So they will rebuild. So what happens is, what happens when people come to Christ, once they come into relationship with Jesus, the answer is not they become a faithful church member alone. Because it says they're actually, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. In other words, there's something about us coming into relationship with God that we're very interested in changing the status quo of the things that are bad. Things that have been devastated for generations, doesn't matter when, you know, God plus one is kind of a majority, all right? And so you have this, uh, uh, you know, so there's a big job to be done. And, and, and I think the ver it is found in one of our favorite verses. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, many of us know that. We're saved by grace for the faith apart from many works. And then we put a big period there, and put, some, put it in a little frame, put some flowers around and hang it on our wall. But that's only half the sentence. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared when? 
in advance for us to do. In other words, when you were born, maybe even before that, God had intended to use you as a change agent in this world. So these works aren't ours to invent. There's ours to discover. George, you've discovered yours. You've stepped into the good works that God's created you. And many, many of you have. But if you haven't, again, what is it that where the world's greatest need and your deepest longing come together where you feel, you know, like, uh, remember Eric Little? I was, uh, the God made me for, I would say, like, a, like, a, like an anchovy at SeaWorld. God made me for a porpoise. But... Um, <laughs> God made me for a purpose, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. But what is it that when you're doing it, you feel God's pleasure? And I think that's that intersection of that good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. So what's, what's broken in this world that Jesus already right, died to redeem, but is yet to be restored and renewed? See, Colossians 1 says, through his body, death, and cross, Christ reconciled how many things to himself? All things to himself, whether things in heaven and earth, visible or invisible. And if he's done that, but what is broken in this world, what, what, what would you want to be involved in helping to fix? The, um, the, what begins with one person, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, ends in a changed society, a transformed city. So you have, um, and so what does that city look like? What, what might on earth as it is in heaven look like? See, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, isn't that what we pray? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're simply supposed to lower that gap, that distance between those two things. And so the, the Bible, it's real interesting because the Bible ends, oh, those fat fingers again. Oh, save me. <laughs> I'm crying out for, for uh, visual salvation. There we go. See how God answers prayer like that? Um, but you look at, it's really interesting, but there's a tree of life found in two places in the Bible. One, the book of Genesis, and the last one is the book of Revelation. And so what begins in the garden ends in a city, and, and it's, but it's the same life-giving tree that gives. And so I look at, and one day God will build a new city. When he has a chance to, re, to build a city from scratch, what does that city look like? And so in Isaiah 65, it says that I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. And I think that's happiness and life satisfaction. It says that I'm, I'm never again will an infant who, uh, who lives but a few days, an old man who doesn't live to 100, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's health and longevity. By the way, yesterday, uh, Sharif and Shemina gave birth to their sixth child, a baby boy. And uh, so that was just super. And there's, there's Kim there being, being there. But this is why we have refugee families coming in. Because when I was a stranger, Jesus said, you welcome me. And if we want to be a church that reflects Jesus, then when refugee families come in, guess what? We adopt them. And we, and we, and we, and we take, help, help take them to that next step. The, um, they'll build houses and dwell in them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. There's housing and food and financial well-being. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. There's meaningful employment for people. There's no social prog program like a full-time job with benefits. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. There's a sense of upward mobility that your kids will have a better life than you do. And they and their descendants with them, their strong family structure in place. That, um, that before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. There's a connection to God. There's a spiritual community in place. And the last one is, um, the wolf and lamb will feed together. They will neither harm nor destroy in my holy mount, says the Lord. And I think that's re reconciliation and absence of violence in the community. So when we look at what God wants for a city like Boulder, it's these things. 
If God had a chance to decide a city, this is what it's going to be like, so how can it be? So sometimes when I'm with a, a different crowd, I'll show them a little chart, and I'll say, let's, let's look at this from Isaiah 65. You know, but the city's the light. Children are valued, protected. Elderly are living long, full lives. There's housing, there's food, there's work. There's family structures in place. There's a hopeful future. People are connected to God and community. There's an absence of violence. And just some, some specific things that you'd look for and maybe a current reality, give ourselves a report card, and then what might this church do to advance those things to make, make on, on earth as in heaven. I think some of the things Calvary is involved in, you know, I think the, the, we're involved in the shelter and the Boulder County Safe House, and there's the Lamb's Lunch, and Mom Jane with the Lost Boys Sedan, Habitat, and, and F, and things like that. But, but, but what it does, and it's not that this, that in-service evangelism is our never our ulterior motive. It's our ultimate motive, but never our ulterior motive. We serve people because people matter to God. And every one of them is an image bearer of, of, what, of, of who, who God is. I love that quote you said a few weeks ago, Tom, that if we were to see people for who they are, you know, that C.S. Lewis quote, whatever, but it would be like we'd be, be amazed. God, how can my time already be running out? I'm, I'm, that's, that was my introduction. Now I'd like to give my... <laughs> I'll finish, I'll finish up here. It's dinging me a little bit. Um, so where can you find yourself in that story? Oh, one thing, um, it's very interesting, I want to tell you a little guy named Tyler Vanderweel. Vanderweel started a program at Harvard called the Harvard Flourishing Program. It's, super, it's worth looking up. And what he says, he defines flourishing as a state in which all aspects of a person's life are good for complete human well-being. And they've, they've looked at people, they've studied people all over the world. They just got a grant with um, Baylor University, $42 million to take the research further. But what, what Tyler discovered and his team discovered is that there's, there's five or six human flourishing domains. So happiness, life satisfaction, physical and mental health, meaning and purpose, character and virtue, close social relationships. Looks a lot like Isaiah 65, doesn't it? But then here's the most interesting part. There's only four pathways to human flourishing. And the first one is family. And if you're a father, you're a mother, you're a parent, you're a brother, you're a sister, you have a big role to play in the flourishing of other people. Uh, you know, the family of origin determines a lot of your flourishing in life. If you're a good family, thank God for that. Second thing is work. That work actually shapes us. If you're a manager, you're an owner, if you supervise people, you're, you're, you're not just writing a paycheck, you're actually in the human development business. Because you're one of only four pathways that influence the person's outcomes in their life. And so if you're just passively writing checks for people, it's, it's too little. But how can you become involved in the holistic well-being of your employees? Third, you teachers out here. How many teachers, educators got out here? You got some. You have an incredibly important job. Because you shape the outcomes of people's lives. And surprisingly, you know what the last one is? Religious communities. Religious communities. There's only four pathways to human flourishing. And so that's why the church has to show up as the church is just not a volunteer organization. That if you do not believe that having a personal relationship with God makes a difference in the human flourishing, the outcome of somebody's life, you haven't read the scriptures. And so what's so good about being part, so if there's ever a place of leverage to be in this community, is to be part of this church right here. Because see, the, the religious communities not only affect the outcomes but they also affect the other pathways, right? Does this church have anything good to say about families? Can, can it provide any good 
or help to be better families? I hope so. Can teach us what, what work looks like? Can we partner with schools, as we've done, um, to make that happen? So if there ever a place to be where we could, we could actually be influencing, changing the city, changing it for the, for the good, to be a place more like Isaiah 65, it is in this faith community. Does that make sense? Raise your hand if that kind of makes sense here. Okay, so, so we're not in the secondary. We never have to apologize for who we are. Because to have a healthy city, having a strong faith community is an essential part of that. And so we never want to back off from that. We don't want to be jerks, obviously, but you need to know in your heart, you have to have an identity of yourself as a believer and as a, as a part of this church that we play an essential role to the health and well-being of everybody else in the community. Make sense? Let me finish up here. The, um, um, so then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began, saying to them, or began by saying to them, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so, um, what do you see? A cow. Okay, everyone sees it now. And I just hope this little time we've had Luke 4 and Isaiah 61, they can never read that passage again and think that you're going to have a one-winged gospel. That you're just going to be a Gnostic and we only care about the souls of people who don't care about their holistic well-being. And I hope you realize that every time you see that passage of what this church can be, has been, and will be to this community. This church needs to be here for the good of student the community. Tom? Thank you, Mark. Did you get all that? <laughs> um, we just want to follow in the steps of Jesus to be... Um, following the ministry of Jesus, representing him, speaking about him, and looking like him to the best of our ability by being kind, being good, where God has put us in Boulder. God's been gracious to Calvary over the years to give us opportunity to be in our community to do just that. You'll notice that when he closed the scroll, everybody was speaking well of him. That's the next mm. verse. Everybody was speaking well of him. And then about 15 verses later... Everybody wanted to kill him. Jesus' ministry was very unique. I've come to preach the good news and to help the poor and the broken and the captive. To whatever extent, our presence in the community today of Boulder and Boulder County can mirror that, that we preach the truth about Christ, which is really good news. And we are gracious, kind loving servants to the world around us, those two parts of being left here on earth until he comes is the mission of the church. And we want to answer the question, how can we do it? I wonder if you are involved in some way in the community that you would let us know that. We would like to support you. We'd like to, to know, what are you doing in social service in our community that's a connection. Is it at the prison? Is it at the hospital? Is it in education? Where are you doing something that we could support you in that ministry? As a congregation, God has been gracious to give us many opportunities over the years to be involved in our city and state and the world, as you've heard. 
there are four major areas that we're involved in as a church. As we close this morning, one of the things I would like you to do is to think about what might be your next step to step into the pathway of Jesus to be present in the community in a way that makes sense for you. They won't all make sense for you. But here's four ways that Calvary, as an organization, is leading our congregation to be involved in community. Number one is with at-risk families and children. We, we support programs in our community that help families that are broken, kids who are at risk. So this includes one particular school in our community that I would encourage you to pray for. It's University Hills Elementary. In that school, we've had a long partnership with them. We have mentors there. We've been a part of some of their special programs, and they appreciate us. If you're involved or interested in stepping into being a part of education, in front of you there's a blue card, and maybe you'd pick that up and say, I'd like to get involved in helping at-risk kids. We also support the Boulder Pregnancy Resource Center for people who um, enter into unexpected pregnancies. And uh, we help minister to them. At that moment, moms and their husbands or boyfriends. We're also involved in the Safe House, which is a center for domestic violence here in our city. And they have loved the ministry that Calvary has had with them over the years. We have women every Sunday morning who come from the Safe House to worship with us here. If those are things that you'd be involved in, helping families, um, the blue card, I, I, I want to find out more and we'll help you. The second area in which we're involved is housing in Boulder. Uh, we support Boulder County families with access to affordable housing to the extent that we can. Habitat for Humanity has been one of our trusted partners, and we've helped to build homes here in Boulder. And there are more projects that are coming. If you'd like to be involved in that kind of a project, blue card in front of you. Let us know that you'd like to be a part of that. Also associated with affordable housing are the needs that EFA provides EFA is um, Emergency Family Assistance Association in Boulder, and uh, food ministry is a very big deal now when, as groceries have gone up. Their, their clients are increasing, and so maybe that's an area of concern for you. Uh, third category is aging adults. We, we collaborate together to serve aging adults and um, partnering with them. That is the growing demographic in our city. That is the demographic that's growing even more than college students. So we want to be in that space to help. Um, there's a ministry at Brookdale, uh, an assisted living center that's having Thursday afternoon worship services. If you'd like to be a part of that, blue card, I'd like to help there. And the last category that we do collectively is serving the homeless uh, supporting local agencies that help with homeless services. That would include Lamb's Lunch, which is a November to March, fourth Saturday of the month, lunch over at Grace Commons that we host, put together, and put on. It's winter gear drives for the homeless, for clothing and shelter, and other ministries involved as well. Those four categories are what we help initiate and invite you into. But I'll bet you're involved in other things. And if you are, we'd like to know so we could support you. What's all that about? It's all about really hearing Jesus open the scroll and say, I'm here to proclaim good news for everybody. And it's going to be 
the broken, the poor, the hurting, the hungry. And when the Son of Man comes and asks this question, when I was thirsty, did you give me a drink? When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was in prison, did you visit? When I was a stranger, did you welcome me? Why? Because he's given us a mission to carry on what he began, and it, it's both knowing him and showing him in the world. And boy, that is the heart that we want to have as a church. Make sense? Okay, so I want to ask you to take a prayerful step forward. This is how I want to do it. And maybe if you're doing something in a category that we haven't even talked about, we'd love to know because we want to celebrate it and support it and um, make it happen. Why? Until all the world knows who Jesus is. And our city needs it because the answers that are being given currently are going to lead to greater destruction. But the hope and peace and love and grace, the truth of Jesus is really what people are hungering for, whether they even know it yet or not. But once you care about their needs, they will ask, what is it about you? Who are you and why do you do what you do? That's great news, isn't it? Okay, I think we should, um, anything else I missed? Okay. If you do it to one of these little ones, you've done it to me. Right. That's my heart that that's what church will be. I think we should sing the benediction as our close this morning, okay? So let's stand together. And what we're going to do is we're going to move from here. Do you need to say something else here? Moxnesses, Mike and Gay, Tim and Michaela Hall, where are you? Right behind. Two more global partners who are leaving us this week for parts unknown around the world to serve Christ. Hey, you've had a big morning this morning. George, the Moxnesses, the Halls, that you're being global partners around the world. We love that. And Eric, thank you for giving us a vision for the world. I hope you capture it. Right after our service, we're going to go to the cafe and uh, college lunch. And uh, I want you guys, we want to reach this, the university. Okay, we, we want to reach the university. So how will God let us take a step?